Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikulskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. And I'm joined by Mark J. Neary, who is the author of the brand new book, How Can You Tell If a Lawyer is Lying? The Unauthorized Autobiography of Mark J. Neary. And I'm not done, there's a subtitle. Six Decades of Law, Laughs, Love and Lust, Some Suspenseful and Sensual Subchapters, and an Awful Amount of Alliteration. Mark J. Neary joins me from Iowa City, where he practices law. He's a part-time judge, and he's lived for several years, a big Hawkeye fan, former Sioux City resident. Mark J. Neary, welcome to Northwest Iowa Radio. It's an honor to be with you, Brian. Well, thanks. Now, this book, I, I know that writing a book is hard. I've, I've spoken to many writers, and I've spoken to many people who become writers in their life, but your idea to sit down and put all these stories in writing, where was the, was this a, a germ of an idea that you've always had? Because people always say, God, I should write a book. Nobody ever does it. I've never heard you say, God, I should write a book, and you've gone and done it. I have put up Christmas newsletters, but I send them out more often than that for many years. And they're kind of humorous, and people have said, oh, you're a good writer, you should write something. And I've always kind of poo-pooed that idea. But uh, when I turn 50, you start to kind of see the end of life a little closer and mortality kicks in and so i thought i should write down some of these stories in some organized fashion to 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 pass on so that people have a little idea of who i am or what i thought was significant and and mostly my nieces and nephews and various family members that you see occasionally you might throw a couple of stories out there about how work is but after i turned 50 i i started thinking I really should get it more organized, and so probably seven, six, seven years ago, I started writing it. And it went in stages. I would write for a while, get a couple of chapters done, and then it would sit for several months. <laughs> My goal was always to have it done by the time I turned 60. Well, I turned 60 last summer, so I missed it by a few months, but it was still good to have that goal. So you hail from uh, Emmitsburg here in northwest Iowa, and you tell some stories in there about the, it seemed to be a, a Catholic school, public school rift in the town. I wouldn't say rift, maybe a geographical divide, but then the Catholic school went away. So what was like life for little Mark Neary up in Emmitsburg? It is a small town, so I always felt very comfortable and, and very accepted. I have two older brothers who were actually at the Catholic high school when it existed. By the time I got there, the uh, high school had, had dropped out. and So most of my friends growing up in grade school were the Catholic kids. And so when we went to public school in ninth grade, I still kind of felt we had that core of people. And those have remained a lot of my best memories. Going to class reunions, which I have done a few times, I tend to gravitate back towards those kids. It, it wasn't really a, a strong rift between the Catholics and the non-Catholics, but it was a different group than I originally was raised with that I kind of took on, you know, high school years. And I thought it was interesting, Dwayne Twait, who's a name that a lot of people know in this area from the legendary high school football coach there, and but uh, he was the track and field coach there. So... But for you, basketball was sort of the sport that kind of kept you going as a youth, right? It was. It was. We had a little basketball court out back of my house, and so I just always played basketball all the time. 
I loved it. I was at best average at it, but our team wasn't that good either. So we all, I worked at it all year long with the summer basketball camps around the area. And so a lot of my focus was how am I going to be better at basketball? Part of that was track, um, you know, get running, getting in shape and stuff. And that's where Coach Twig got involved. And I wasn't very good at football. So I ended up running cross country, which kind of made me not that popular with Coach Twait, but he was he was a nice enough guy, and, and I I actually was uh, the stack guy who called it into KCAU and all the other Sioux City channels at the end of the football games. How Emmitsburg did that day, he was a strong presence in the community, and and his son was a year ahead of me and was a friend of mine, so. That was the Dwayne Twake connection. One of the things that I think is foreign to a lot of youth these days is after-school work, summer work. You were working early. I know you, you jokingly talk about you were flipping 45s for your brothers. You were ten and bar for your dad. But one of the interesting things that a lot of kids don't know about anymore is detasseling. And you detasseled a lot. And there's a story about you working with another Mark Neary there. And it was sounds like it was your first crime that you ever committed can you tell me about that well i think i i think i took some candy from a grocery store <laughs> up the street one time and and of course the grocer knew my parents and so before i got home they knew that i had the candy i think that was my first crime <laughs> but uh when i was detasseling mark neary who is a distant 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 cousin and lived in des moines and still does as a matter of fact came up and stayed with his grand I detasseled for a few years. Mark also came and worked on the same crew for DeKalb for a couple of weeks, hated it. So when paycheck time came around, there were two checks for Mark Neary. One was my full work. The other was 75 bucks or whatever Mark made, and I made 75 bucks, and I still remember that, and uh, maybe I'll pay Mark back sometime. <laughs> I'm chatting with Mark Neary about his brand new book, How Can You Tell If a Lawyer is Lying? The Unauthorized Autobiography of Mark J. Neary. You know, Mark, before we go further, I, you know, that's the old joke, how can you tell if a lawyer is lying? His lips are moving. The whole ironic part of that is, in a book, your lips aren't moving, but the readers might be. So is that kind of a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek, the title? Uh, there's a lot of parts of the book that are a little bit tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> I remember an old Twilight Zone episode with Jack Klugman where, uh, called Pip, where basically he's telling his, his kid, you know, life, it is to laugh, Pipper. And I always try to throw some humor in there. And so most of what I say is, is a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Well, you, you headed off to college, and I never knew this about you. You went to Billy Penn down there in Oskaloosa, William Penn. And you said that it was a lot like high school in there. And I always remember the great writer Chris Offit from Iowa City said that he went to Morehouse College, and it was like high school with ashtrays is how he described it. What was your experience like at William Penn? I think at that point William Penn was around 400 students, and so I think it was a lot like high school. You went down there, You, you there were some cliques. We had the athletes clique. You had the music clique over here. I was not uh, particularly social at the time. I, I was pretty shy, and so that was one reason I wanted to get away to was to work on that. It's still a work in progress. But at Bill Penn, I met some really nice people on my floor, and 
did some things that I probably wouldn't have been able to do had I gone to a large school or stayed in Emmitsburg and went to Iowa Lakes Community College. But after a year there, it was just too clicky, too little. I was ready to move on to something different. But it gave me some opportunities to do things that I probably never would have done, such as I was on the golf team there. We were a lousy golf team, but I got to go and play golf. And they paid the money. I, you know, I, I did some other things that, that were pretty fun and, and helpful. And ultimately, when people in Oskaloosa at Bill Penn wanted to go out and really have a good time, they drive to Iowa City, which is kind of where I got exposed to Iowa City for the first time. And thus began your great, uh, one of your great love affairs of your life with the city of Iowa City and the University of Iowa. But I thought it was interesting when you moved to Iowa City, the first place that you lived, uh, Mormon Trek and Benton, kind of, you haven't really gone very far eventually after, after there. You're, you're kind of still there, right? I, I still am. I, I, we lived a year, or I lived with a couple of guys a year on uh, South Johnson Street, but then we moved to uh, some condos that were, were built, Mormon Trek and Benton, and, and right now I live kitty corner from those condos, right up the street is a nursing home, so I could easily spend the last 50 years of my life in about a 200-yard area. One of the experiences that I did find interesting uh, from your time at William Penn is you had an African-American roommate, and growing up in small-town Iowa, you're not really exposed to black culture or anything, so was that a, how much of a culture shock, or what, what did you take from seeing that perspective, because that, that would have been something totally new for a small-town Iowa kid? It was very new, and, and that was one of the best things about Bill Penn was, was that roommate, because we just kind of hang out or we go uh, play ping pong or, or whatever, go up to the Casey's or, or Pizza Hut. And I thought it was fine. We were just a couple of young college kids. But I kind of saw or learned the way he viewed the world and the way others were looking at us all the time. As a kid in Emmitsburg, I just always felt people were kind of watching out for me. You know, if I was uptown walking home, that that I I wasn't unsafe. There was nothing that was going to bother me. I don't think he had that same perspective. And I, I learned a little bit about how difficult it is to be viewed with suspicion all the time. That was that was completely out of my realm of experience. And it, I think, gave me some insight into him and... Uh, minorities and, and other people who are viewed differently. I just thought it was a fascinating part of the book. All right, this has been Mark Neary. He's talking about his brand new book, How Can You Tell If a Lawyer Is Lying? The Unauthorized Biography of Mark J. Neary. Mark, we got so much to cover. Do you mind joining us for another episode next time? That would be great. Thank you, Brian. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time.
Welcome back to KSCJ Radio, 1360 AM, 94.9 FM in Sioux City, Iowa. I'm Brian Vikalskis, and this is Having Read That, conversations with authors about their books. And I'm joined by Mark J. Neary, who has graciously agreed to come on for a second episode because we could not finish all of his thoughts in the first episode, and I couldn't get all my questions in. Mark's the author of the brand new book, How Can You Tell If a Lawyer is Lying? The Unauthorized Biography of Mark J. Neary. It's available on Amazon, wherever you buy fine books. And... Mark, last week we talked about your growing up in uh, uh, northwest Iowa, Emmitsburg area, but you ended up in law school in Iowa City, and for anybody who's been to law school, the book that everybody tells you to read is 1L by Scott Giroux, and it basically does nothing but scare the hell out of incoming law school 1Ls or law school freshmen. So was that your experience at the Iowa Law School? Going into it, it was not terrifying, but I was certainly completely lost. I thought that I was required to just read constantly and study constantly and there'd be no time for any other social life. And after the first semester, I found out that really that's not true at all, or at least with me. You can kind of screw around for the majority of the semester because there's only one final. And then, you know, the last month, six weeks, then you really have to bear down. I like going to class most of the time. I don't know, had I not gone to class, if I would have been able to go uh, with this intense study in the end of the semester like others. But I know some kids in my class that I'd never see them except at finals time. (laughs) So I don't think law school was really as taxing as they make it out to be. Um, I'm not going to say it was easy. and I certainly didn't uh, make the uh, grade as the best student in the class. I thought that it was an, an interesting experience, and once you figured out how to study for the finals, it was a very enjoyable place to be. Well, I know you landed in Shell Rock for a, a spell after law school, working for a firm there, but uh, you eventually ended up in what you call Superland, and I I forgot that that was an old uh, that was an old ad campaign for the uh, there's a the old button that runs around that you see it once in a while at. Uh, flea markets that says welcome to Superland, but you ended up working for the city attorney's office, and so when you got to Sioux City, you bought your first house, but what was the law practice like in Sioux City, which would have been in the sort of been late, mid-late 80s, right? 1989 is when I got there. I was fortunate in that uh, I believe seven people from my law school class were all in Sioux City at the time. One of them worked in the public defender's office, and three of them were in the county attorney's office right away had a group that I could kind of hang out with. While they were a little more, they'd been in Sioux City for a year or more, we all kind of got along and and did things together. So I felt a sense of group that I didn't necessarily feel when I was uh, living in Shell Rock and working in Waverly. My first job, my boss was incredibly busy and didn't have a whole lot of time to mentor me. In Sioux City, it was the opposite. city attorney's office had a few guys that were wonderful mentors, and then this group of friends from law school and, and then others that added just made it a very comfortable experience. And I know that you tell some stories about the different goings-on in Sioux City, and people always like to hear the, the lawyers talk you about what goes on. It was a crazy deal involving a magistrate. Can you share that? I was a prosecutor for the city. Uh, there was a magistrate who had taken out a uh, car, a, a sports car, for a test drive one night. Eventually, the, the car was in an accident. 
kind of in the rural area of Sioux City. When it was discovered there was blood in it, not knowing who was involved, the, uh, there was an extensive search done that evening, uh, including some of the hospital, one of the hospitals sending out its helicopter. The driver wasn't located until the next day when, when this magistrate turned himself into the hospital with a broken jaw. <laughs> exactly, you know, why he hadn't wanted to report that night before is subject to speculation. But a few weeks later, he still has his jaw wired shut when he's on the bench. And I was prosecuting a uh, gentleman for running through a stop sign. And the uh, person who ran the stop sign had this long, convoluted story about uh, working at, in the meatpacking industry and, and animal parts on the kill floor and back getting on his boots. And he was wearing his boots when he was later driving a cab. And so when he went to hit the brakes, his boots split off the stop sign. And so because he was Working in the meatpacking industry, he should not be ticketed for running through a stop sign. And it was a very odd case, but he kept telling the story. And the magistrate kept saying things like, I've already heard that, or move along, or whatever. But the magistrate's mouth is wired shut, so <laughs> the guy is not hearing or not listening and starting to make a lot of comments about, well, why can't you talk right, and why speak up? And every time that he'd yell at the magistrate, the magistrate would get a little madder and yell back, and, and eventually we got through the case, and I decided this is about time to move on from the city attorney's office. <laughs> so, and move on you did. You moved Quad Cities, Indiana, Illinois, all over. I know you were handling divorce cases for legal aid, I believe, in the Quad Cities, and you had a strange situation come up with a uh, party you'd represented at a divorce custody fight. These are two people who apparently love their children. Can you share that one? Because that was a great story. <laughs> I was representing the, uh, the woman, and a friend of mine was representing the father, and, and these were two people who just hated each other, hated the law system hated everything, and we knew that it was going to be an ugly, ugly case. When we went to trial, we kind of agreed, the other attorney and I, that we're not going to make a lot of objections here. Just let them get their stories out and, and be done. So after about two hours of trial, the judge just hated both the attorneys because he wanted these people to shut up, and he wanted them to be on point, and all they wanted to do was talk about what a lousy person they're soon to be ex was. So a couple of weeks later, I was in the office. The judge had issued his ruling and granted my client, mom, the kid in the custody case. So the father walked into my office with the kids and said, where do I take them? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, mom just ran off with the circus because the circus had <laughs> been in town for uh, Great River Days the week before. And so I said, well... I don't know. They're your kids. So, for all I know, they're off with the <laughs> Chatting with Mark Neary about his book, How Can You Tell If a Lawyer is Lying? The Unauthorized Autobiography of Mark J. Neary. So much irony in all of the title and subtitle. But, Mark, uh, I know one of the, the, the your, your partner in life who's been with you through all this is uh, your lovely wife, Jonna, who... I've gotten to know over the years, and uh, she's she's been through a lot in her career, but uh, you have a title called What Exactly Does Jonna Do? And the quick answer is pharmacist, but she's she's had a career that really is worthy of a book of its own, isn't it? She 
is an exceptional person, I think. I'm probably biased on that. But as far as working goes, uh, she worked at a pharmacy that did, well, she worked at a lot of different pharmacies, including at one point she ran the uh, Walgreens Pharmacy in, in Sioux City. But ultimately, most of her career was as a nursing home pharmacist, where they go and supply the meds to, to nursing homes and then run, go and do a lot of reports to make sure the residents are being taken care of and all of that. But she worked her way up the chain, which is why I ended up in the Quad Cities and then Indiana and then uh, Chicago area. She was really good at her job, really driven at her job. She obtained much more satisfaction from her job than I probably ever have. And uh, that was the good part. And then she had some health issues, which resulted in her not being able to work anymore, which really impacted her given how much she had devoted to her work. And so that also kind of gave me a different perspective on life as well. As she's a phenomenal person, and the two of you are uh, just make a, a perfect couple when you, you think about all that you've gone through in your lives, and uh, you detail quite a bit about it in the book. The other thing that, another love of your life is the Iowa Hawkeyes. And I know you followed the Iowa Hawkeyes football team around the country, going to road games, home games. I used to sit by you at a lot of home games for a lot of years down there. But I know that you went to a... a football game in Arizona and you kind of got to be careful where you stay because it can turn out to an unpleasant situation. So before I let you go, I have to ask you that story because that's a great one. When I was working in the Chicago area, we had some interns who were law students at Northern Illinois University. And one of the interns who worked for us was ex-military guy who had a, a fascinating history himself. But his wife actually lived in Arizona. And so when we went to uh, Arizona for a football game, we stayed with them. Iowa got their butts kicked, which didn't help things. The weather was a rainstorm, which didn't help things. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, until we got there, this friend of mine and his wife had decided essentially that week or that day that they were going to get divorced. <laughs> so we sat through a very tense, ugly, horrible football game watching these people go through their whole divorce process or, or feeling these emotional issues. You know, my, my memory of that game is, boy, Iowa got its butt kicked. <laughs> it's just a phenomenal story. Sometimes Best Western is the best option, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Well, we've just scratched the surface over these last two episodes of this fantastic book you've written. It's How Can You Tell If a Lawyer is Lying? The Unauthorized Autobiography of Mark J. Neary. It's available everywhere. There's a link on our webpage where you can click it. It'll take you right to Amazon, and you can buy a copy of the book. You won't be disappointed. He's got all kinds of stories about Northwest Iowa, Sioux City, and his travels all over, basically all over the the lower 48. So, Mark, it's uh, it was just a pleasure to read your book and a pleasure to have you on the show, and I thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Brian. This has been Having Read That on KSCJ Radio. I'm Brian Vakalskis. Check out all of our episodes on our website, kscj.com, and subscribe to our iTunes podcasts. Thanks to music historian Molly Jolly and segment producer John Weasler. We will be back next time. I'm never going to cry again.